epistle of John. We're sneaking up on some pretty powerful messages that John has for the church, right? And we've seen so far in the first chapter, in the beginning of chapter 2, as we're doing this in an expository way, verse by verse, we're seeing that John is writing to the church and he's proclaiming something. What's he proclaiming? On the one hand, there is the light, and on the other hand, darkness. And so he's using this opportunity to write this letter to talk to the church about light and darkness, and then he makes it very specific about those that had entered into the church and had pulled members of the church, if you will, out uh, into the darkness and because they were false teachers and people had followed these false teachers and they weren't in the truth. They weren't in the light. And by virtue of not being in the light, John says they're in the darkness. And it's a, it's a beautiful and very simple contrast. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. It's really that simple. He doesn't mince any words. He just says this is the what it is. And so you're either obedient and following Jesus and you're in the light or you're disobedient and you are following error, okay, and falsehood, and you're in the darkness. And so, and he confirms that, really, because he's got credibility, doesn't he? Because he's an apostle, he was there, he spent all the time with Jesus, and, and he was an eyewitness. And so he has some real credibility. Unlike those that were teaching false teaching, the, the Gnostics that were teaching that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that's the first thing that they started with, and they were teaching that, and they didn't even have any credibility. What did they have? To, what basis did they have to teach what they were teaching? None. They had no basis whatsoever, and yet it was strong enough that they had pulled people from the church. Pretty scary. And so he he then confirmed. We look at this last week that the truth of Jesus being the atonement for our sin. Right. And well, what is atonement? Oh, forgiveness and what did he bring you two together? Okay, all right, a reconciliation. Okay, satisfying God. Satisfying God. He paid the price. Yes. Okay, so he atoned for sin that you could or I could never do. We could never do that. And so uh, we and so what we need to recognize is is what's the one thing that we need to recognize before we can even come to faith in Christ. That we're sinners, that we have a need for a Savior. I mean, come on, we know people, don't we, that are not saved. And, and they would think, well, well I don't judge. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just good. Uh, but they're not, because they're in the darkness. And the darkness would say that they're good, they're not good. Because if they were in the light, they would, they would recognize that, that they're sinners and that they need a Savior. It's again. Right, Wes? It's really a simple message, isn't it? The gospel is really quite simple. It's not easy, but it is really simple. And so he tells us that if we're in the darkness, we're out of fellowship. It's that simple. Again, if you're in the darkness, you're out of fellowship. Fellowship with who? God. God and one another. 
Because when you are in fellowship with God, you are placed into the body of Christ. When you are placed into the body of Christ, you are like this. We are here and everybody has their part. And we're all unique. And God has placed us here in fellowship. And we're in fellowship with him and we're in fellowship with one another. And if we're not, we're in the darkness. We're in the darkness. And so, John, last week, we looked at chapter 2, verse 3, about knowing Jesus. Not knowing of Jesus, but knowing Jesus. And so, chapter 2, verse 3, says that we know that we have come to know him, if what? Yeah. <coughs> It's all about obedience. Even Jesus says, hey, I and the Father are one. I do everything that my Father commanded me to do. <clears throat> Not most things. Everything. Of course, he could do it perfectly, and we can't. But, but we know that. And so, if we know Jesus, we're doing what he commands. And if we say we know him, but we're not doing what he commands, John says, you're in the darkness. And it's not a checklist. Don't make the list of all the things that Jesus commanded you to do and then start checking them off every day. I did this one, I did that one. And that's, that's, not, that's not the issue. The issue is, it's a heart issue, isn't it? So we're either doing it or we're not based on what our heart condition is. So, do we love the Lord? We would hope, John is saying here, that out of that love, as the Father has love for the Son, that we have love for Jesus and that we would just do what he commands. It's good for us. even feels good, doesn't it? When we're in the light. Versus being in the dark. And then lastly, last week, by way of review, we looked at 1 John 2, the, the verses 7 and 8, where he says, I'm not writing you a new command, yet I'm writing you a new command. And we, we took some real time to take a look at that because it was really important. What was the, what was the old command? Remember that? He said, you've heard this from the very beginning, church. What's the most important thing? Love, love one another. Okay. He said, just love one another, right? That's that thing, the Shema, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's it. Love, love, love. He said, that's, a, that's an old command. I'm not, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna write you a new command, yet here's a new command. And we saw that the new command really was about the fulfillment of love. And here's the mind-boggling thing that we saw that Jesus and you all, us all, are the fulfillment of that command. Out of love. Sunday they came to a memorial service and they got loved on. 
That was the gospel that was shared. There wasn't words that were necessary, frankly. That's the fulfillment. That's the maturity that John is talking about here. That's an awesome truth. So, as an instrument of God, um, in, in terms of being the fulfillment of his love in, in this place, this, this world that's gone mad. It's a crazy world, isn't it? Yeah. Which, which is a great segue into chapter 2, verse 15, which gets taken out of context a lot in Christendom because it's talking about John now transitions and talks about not loving the world or anything in it. But what's the context? We just reviewed the context of what John is trying to communicate here. And he's trying to communicate, hey, be careful. There are those that would try to suck you into the darkness. It's real. Some of us have either witnessed or experienced it. There are those that would want to suck us into the darkness. Boy, it's a fine line, isn't it? And he says, but don't, don't go there. Be in the light. <coughs> By following the one command. Love. It's just love. It's about love. So let's see what he has to say then about this in context of light and darkness. The contrast. Light and darkness. Because all of a sudden, it's application. So we're going to look at a few verses of application. And this will be application for the first century church. And this is going to be full on 100% application for every one of us sitting in this room. And we all are very familiar with these verses. So Susan, because she has an NIV, is going to read 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So put your finger there, because we're going to tear these verses apart a little bit. Okay, so 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Hmm. Interesting. So verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. What's the warning? Don't love the world. Don't love the world. Warning. Warning. And what's the reason for the warning? Because it what? It leads to death. Well, it could lead, it lead to death. There's the warning. You love the world, and if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And then he says here, don't love the world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And the message is really clear. You can't have it both ways. Right? We see that throughout Scripture. You can't love two masters, can you? It's not possible. Not in being in the light. Because remember, the context is living and walking in the light. 
That's what it's about. And so John says that the love of the world precludes you from the love of the Father. Woo! Now, do we have to kind of figure out what that means, though? Because aren't we, aren't we in the world? Yeah, 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 yeah. So what do we do with that? Because we're in the world, and yet John says that the love of the world precludes you from loving the Father. But if you go back to verse eight, it says it says that that this darkness that John is talking about is passing away. The darkness is passing away. We saw last week that the light has come. But the darkness is passing away. And then he says, don't love the world or, or what in the world? Anything. How in the world do we do that? Linda. Okay, so what he's saying is don't put it above your love for the Lord. Oh. Is that, I mean, because we can love God's creation. We can oh. love the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or, you know, we can love all of Okay, that's perfect. Now let's take a look at that. So let's take a look at the world because who created the world? Is that the world that John is talking about? No. 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 So let's take a look then. You're absolutely correct, but we need to identify what is the world that John is talking about here that we shouldn't love and everything that is in and of this world that we shouldn't love. So let's turn to 1 John. We're already there. uh, 5.19. One of the things I love about John is that in John's epistles and in the book of John, the the gospel of John, whenever we have any of these questions and we're trying to figure them out, John answers every question that is posed for us. It's all in John's writing. I love it. It's all tied together. So let's read 1 John 5.19. Susan. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Lynn, what is under the control of the evil one? The whole world. The whole world is under the control of the evil one, okay? No. <laughs> okay. He's not talking, I don't believe he's talking about the world of nature. No, he's not. Or the stars. I mean, who, do, who doesn't love the cosmos and the wonderful works of God in nature and that sort of stuff? I think he's talking about the world of man, political, mm-hmm. uh, you know, society, mm-hmm. society and, and uh, governments and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hold on to that thought. And now let's turn to the book of John, not First John. Turn to John twelve thirty-one, Because... In the epistle of John, John says that the, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We're trying to figure out what this, what, what, what's he talking about? The whole world, he says. John 12, 31. Who's going to read that, Susan? Okay. <laughs> now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Look carefully at the language that is used and the words that are used here. John, the same writer, says that now is time for judgment on this world. And the prince of this world will be driven out. So let's go one more time now. Let's stay in John and go to John 14, 30 and 31 and look at the 
when we read this, pay attention to that that phrase, the, the term, the world. Susan, John 14, 30 through 31. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us sleep. Who now would like to have a discussion with Joanne relative to her comment that the world is not the created world, but how did you phrase it? The world of men, governments, and, and, and uh, politics. And, 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 uh, and systems and things. Yeah. Anyone? Comments? The culture. The culture? Anyone else? It's the ones that aren't living in the light. The ones in the world that aren't living in the light. Y- yeah. And the worlds that we don't. Yeah, and what's really interesting is I hadn't thought about it until you just said that, but the world itself, the cosmos, the creation, frankly, you would think is in the light. Because God created it good, didn't he? Well, what's the meaning of anything? Ah, okay. Is that like that. all? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anything, everything, and all. Hmm. Well, so what we see is that we see that in context that what John is talking about, he's talking about the things of the world. Because we're going to see that we read, that's why we read all three verses, and we're going to dive into verse 16 and verse 17. And... In, in, in a little bit more depth as well. But he is talking about the world system of things because who is in charge of the world system of things? Okay, and so in verse... Uh, because what, what verse are we looking at right now? Verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ouch. And theologian Linda said that it, isn't he talking about... Uh, but he's not talking about that about the, the the world world. He couldn't be because the Grand Canyon is beautiful, isn't it? But we can't put that above God, can we? No, of course not. Nor and and so we can't also be in love with over the love of Jesus for anything that is of this world because we just saw that that who is in charge of this world? The darkness. The darkness. Because who is in charge of the darkness? Satan. Satan. Okay. And when did that begin? A really long time ago. Genesis 3, 6. You don't have to turn there. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Eye. And also (laughs) desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Well, what happened? Satan. Ah, There was Satan doing his thing. And he deceived her. And then we have all been beneficiaries of that, haven't we? Yes. Beneficiaries of the fall. Thanks to the woman. The system. <laughs> Actually, I love to think about it this way because we're going to have another one that's going to get you in trouble later, Ernie. But I like to think about it this way because, um, because the, the man was the one that was most disobedient because he was the one that was supposed to be and given the spiritual um, headship over the, over the woman. He said, Woohoo, let's go. Sounds good to me. Let's go, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I, I know you're just joking. But it was it was the man's responsibility, it was Adam's responsibility, and they, they fell together, and it was Satan that led them into that temptation, and they succumbed to that temptation, and therefore a created 
the world system of things where Satan was in, is, has been in charge, right? And that's the, the world that is passing away that John is talking about here. That's the world that is in the darkness and not in the <coughs> light. Is, that is because Satan will never be in the light. And those that follow his ways will never be in the light. They will always be in the darkness. So now let's go back to everything. What is John really concerned about before we move on in verse 15? What's the primary thing that he's concerned about as he's communicating this truth? That do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What's he communicating there? What's he concerned about? Money, material things. Money, material things. Okay. The cravings of sinful man. Cravings of sinful man. We're going to see that in the next couple verses. The the world system of things. Yeah. See, one of the things I love about our friends, our Jehovah's Witness friends, see, they get they get so so much, of course, of of their doctrine and theology is totally wrong, and and we know that, and we, we, we need to love them and pray for them, but they're just they're wrong. They're in the darkness. However, the one thing they do really well in their literature is talk about the world system of things. And they break it down into very simplistic terms. And I, I, have, I have most of their literature. And it's fascinating because they take this truth, the truth of the, of, of, of the, the biblical truth of not being in the world and loving the world, and they break that down very succinctly. Very succinctly. What does what and what does that that mean? It means anything that would seduce us away from the love of Jesus. Anything. So you're right on, Linda. It's that is precisely what John is communicating here. Anything in the world that we would put on a higher uh, echelon than our love for the Lord is what he's talking about, and that means. And so, what is everything, Dale? The same as anything and all things that would do just that. Seduce us away from our primary purpose, which is to love the Lord. And to put Him first. Right? What's the verse? Love the Lord your heart and mind and soul. Heart, mind and soul. First and foremost, anything that gets in the way of that is a seduction away from what God calls us to. And, oh, isn't the world great at seducing us away from that? <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? That's a fine line. It's a fine line. If you can go to, like, the Grand Canyon, or Don and I one time went way up in, I think it was in Nebraska, where we way up on top of the world, and you actually see the curve, mm-hmm. the curve of the world, and you look out there and you say, God made this all, and I just... I. He loves me so much that he allowed me to see this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if, you can, if you can face it that way. Sure. Yeah. And if you can face it based on what God created for us, because he did it all for us, in, in the garden, and everything was perfect, and, um, and it, of course he's going to return it because there's this redemptive plan that he has put in place. Okay, so we're going back there. Okay, When heaven and earth collide, it's going to be just like it was without, without any sin. We can't, we can't relate to that. There will be no world system of things. It will be God in things. Exclusively. Only. We won't even know what worldly things are. We won't have any concept 
of worldly things because we will be in a perfect environment that God originally created for us. But let's go back to the everything issue that, that Dale brought up. Verse 16 says, For everything... And the Greek word for everything, as you know, everything. is everything. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, I, I looked at three different translations. So, so put the finger in your translation. The one, if you have an NIV, that says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So where does it come from? Where do all of these things come from? And who's in charge of the world? Okay, so we see that. The New Living Translation, I really like this, says, The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. For only offers a craving for physical pleasure. Oh, I think we can relate to that, can't we? Yeah, because sin is generally pleasurable. Especially if you're in the darkness, because you're not dealing with the consequences, are you? I mean, it doesn't last. It, yeah, no, of course it doesn't last. But the point is, is that most sin is, is quite pleasurable. In the moment, in the moment, the consequences and unintended consequences of it are pretty horrific. But in the moment, that's why there's so much of it. It's our nature. And so uh, the, the Berean study Bible says, for all that is in this world, for all that is in this world, that's the everything that the NIV is, is talking about. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, for everything that belongs to the world. You see, if it belongs to the world, it is not of God. If it belongs to the world, it is not of God. That's why Jonah is, is using this real strong language by saying that, Dale, man, everything in the world, the lust of our flesh. Oh, now we've got to look into that, don't we? Because what is that? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We better figure out what that means because we live in the world and we've all been told we're not of the world. Where are we of? <laughs> uh, huh? But where are we from? Heaven. Heaven is our home. Okay? We're aliens here. Right? Okay, the Bible tells us that we're aliens here. And then it tells us here that everything in the world is not so good. The Grand Canyon's good. But the lust of the flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life is not so good. So what is the flesh? Not of the spirit. Okay, so it's something that is not of the spirit. Okay, so that's good. Now let's let's drive it down even farther. Let's let's put it right both feet on the ground now. Okay, so he says that that the lust of the flesh. What is the flesh? Not of the spirit. What else? Sexual desires. A sexual desires that could be that could be lust <coughs> of the flesh. The lust of the flesh could be a sexual desire. What else is the what else is the uh, is the is the flesh? Walking on our own. Okay. In our own choices and not. Self. Perfect. 
Exactly. Self, 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 self. That's the flesh. Anything that would bring pleasure to ourself, the whole in Christian Standard Bible says, for everything that belongs to the world, okay, the New Living Translation, for the world offers only a craving. Those things that you would crave that are not of God, that are in the darkness, that are not of the Spirit, that, that's the flesh. That's absolutely the flesh. That's everything that, that, that puts us in a position where we're independent of God. I mean, come on. When was the last time that you did something where you were independent of God? Don't, you don't have to answer that out loud. But I mean, I mean, what time today did that happen? Seriously. I mean, really. More like how often. Yeah, how many times today did that happen? I mean, was it... Like 6.15? I don't know. But, but the point is, is that anything that, 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 that is oriented towards our self, self-pleasure, self-orientation, self-driven, self-sufficiency, independent from God. Okay? And, and this is going to sound crazy, but, and I don't want to pick on anybody, but, you know, I, you know, I pick on, 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 on Wes because we talked about the, uh, about the vet. Now, I'll, I'll trade your vet for my for my Impala anytime. But, but, but let's go to something even simpler. Dale loves to play golf. Is there any, is golf worldly? Not if you don't put it before God. Lord, thank you that I have the ability to play golf. He's actually pretty good at it from what I've heard. And the point is that as soon as his golf takes the place of the Lord in his life, and becomes an idol, it is of the world. It is a, but there's nothing inherently wrong with playing golf or owning a Corvette or anything else until we make an idol of it. That's the fleshly self independent of God part. And so when it becomes materialistic or egocentric, right? Or narcissistic. Come on, we all know a narcissist. At least one. And uh, those are things that are worldly. That's the everything Dale, that he's talking about here. The everything is anything that is independent from God that you would make an idol out of and put it in place of the Lord of Lords in your life. And so where does that fleshliness come from? From Satan. Yeah, we already look at that. It came from the fall. You ain't got no choice. I hate that. That's why I'm looking so forward to heaven. <laughs> because for the first time, then I got to worry about any of that stuff. Now, I think Bible study is going to be a whole different thing in heaven than it is in the world. You know, we're not going to be caught up in, the, in what we did and how many times today we did it that was independent of God. That, that won't even exist. I'm so looking forward to that. Because my nature makes me want to do stuff and then ask God to come along for the ride. And, you know, I mean, that's, I do that all the time. All the time. And so, you know, if our Corvette or our golf goes there, that's, that's sin. That, that's an idol. So just don't do it. And you can have a Corvette and play golf. It's fine. Right? Turn to Ephesians 2, 3. Ephesians 2, 3. 
Sutra. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, or in some translations, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Of our flesh. Verse Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Sinful desires that are put on an elevated posture, becoming an idol, meaning that they are separating you from God because of the status that you have taken, have put them in. We make idols out of things, don't we? God doesn't do that. We have a choice. So if golf becomes our idol, and it's the most important thing in our life, and we say this to Jesus... And this to golf, and it's all we think about, and it's all we do, and that's, and you know, and, and, and this is crazy because because um, I know Dale can probably relate to this better than any of us because he's a golfer. But but you know that's how a professional golfer operates, right? They have to live it, breathe it, eat it, sleep it, right? Are there Christian professional golfers? Absolutely, praising God for the gift that they've been given in terms of the talent and the skill and the abilities that they have, and they're praising God. And giving him the glory for their golf game. And they make a living doing it. See the difference? The difference is, is that you can, you can eat it, breathe it, sleep it, everything it. And it can still be totally okay and not a sinful desire and not an idol. It's a heart condition. So there's an antidote for all of this, of course. Turn to Romans 13, 14. We just kind of looked at the at this antidote, but we'll read it. Romans thirteen fourteen. So the lust that we've been talking about is really uh, anything that you have an ultra strong desire for, something or someone. That brings you pleasure instead of Jesus. That's the lesson we're talking about. What does Romans 13, 14 say? Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. There you go. We get the choice. It's so simple, really. I love this. It's just, it's just, it's just simple. Not easy, but simple. And so he says, rather... Now let's... Let's take a look at the rather. Rather than succumbing to all of these things, 
rather than being seduced, rather than having your heart be, be hardened to the things of God because we have placed those things that bring pleasure that we lust after. Okay, lust isn't always sexual. It's a thing. Or it could be a thing that we lust after or a person that we lust after. And, um, and, and when we do that, all we have to do is clothe ourselves really in the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. First and foremost. Scott. Just before that, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Ooh. Hmm. And that's in Romans. Right. John didn't write Romans. No. Huh. This darn book kind of agrees with itself, doesn't it? <laughs> figure that out. Figure that out. So, so in the context of dark and light, it says, just rather close yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. The desires of your flesh are anything that would put something before Jesus. So, just live in the light. That's all he's talking about. That's what we do. We do that on Sundays, and we do that on Wednesdays, and we do that hopefully during the week when we're when we're not together. Now remember, this is the first century church that he was writing to, and they had everything in common, and they pooled everything together, and they lived together, and it was a commune. Okay? Culturally, it takes on a slightly different context for us. I'm wondering if it wasn't easier for them than it is for us by virtue of the fact that they were together all the time. Can you imagine... Um, we would probably want to kill each other if we were together that much, right? No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, the point is, is that they were together and had everything in common, and they sat under the apostles' teaching, right? And that's what they're really doing here with with John. John's writing him, writing them this this letter, and and bringing some correction. And so the the lust of the flesh that John is mentioning. Um, it, it could be what, Scotty? You mentioned it could be a, it could be a sexual desire. That's a real common thing in our culture because just turn on the TV. I mean, they use such sell hamburgers these days. Just walk down the street. Or walk down the street or did it whatever, you know. Um, and it's like a, I mean, you go to you go you can go to you can go to some churches, some really con- big contemporary churches, and you you would be shocked at how some people dress. You know, you and don't dress. Or, or don't dress. Yeah, the, the lack of dress, and um, you know, and we and we see that's disobedient. Uh, not you don't have to dress like a Quaker, but you know, we see that that modesty is important. Modesty is important, and it's hard in the world because we're told that uh, you know, where's the line? Where's the line? Where do you draw the line? So. All of these things that we're talking about, these desires that we have for something that entices us, we're enticed by all kinds of things. And if we're enticed by it, and we put it before our love for the Lord Jesus, that's what he's talking about. And then thirdly, under the heading of everything in this world, John mentions the pride of life. What in the world is that? Because he doesn't explain it. What does it. What's the verse say? The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but of the world. Okay, biggest house, fanciest car. Your ego. Ego. Kathy? In the NIV, mine says the boasting of what he has and does. 
Ah. So it's, you know, arrogant, boastful, you know. Pride. Pride. Because he calls it pride. Pride of life. Look what I can do. Yeah, look what I can do. So I, I looked in the Greek. I had to, I had to look up the word. So I like, I like words, and I like the Greek. Um, because I can't speak Greek, so I have to look up the word and then figure out what it means. And then you have to try to translate it, because translators have tried to put the Greek into the English. And, and the English never really does the Greek justice, because the Greek languages, is, um, they have words that are so much more... Powerful, and we use a word, and it takes on a connotation that that. Uh, uh, uh-huh. And in the Greek, if you use that word, it's like whoa, like whoa. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's deep, heavy, and 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 whew, powerful. And so, in the Greek, the word for the pride of life is a word, if I can pronounce it correctly, alazonea, which when I looked it up, it says this. It described a pretentious hypocrite who glorifies in himself or in his possessions a person of ostentatious pride in his own importance. <laughs> wow, that's the pride of life. That's the word that's used in the Greek. It takes on a whole different connotation than, than just saying pride of life. Because Diana says it's just pride. What? An, ostent- an ostentatious pride in your own importance. A pretentious, not just a hypocrite, a pretentious one. So, man, the Greek word is just like beautiful, isn't it? Because now all of a sudden the pride of life means, I don't want to be around a guy like that, do you? Uh, it takes narcissism to a whole other level. It makes narcissism seem like a, a, a dance in the park all of a sudden. And, and here it is, this pride of life that John's, he says it right there in verse 16. He says, for everything in the world. And then he talks about the pride of life. So now, Dale, when you ask, what does everything mean? Man, all of a sudden, I'm getting a handle on what everything means. Everything means that, that uh, this guy, the stuff of the world that makes me want to be a pretentious hypocrite that has an ostentatious pride in my own importance. Because I got the biggest house, the biggest car, the fastest car, the most of this, the, the lowest handicap, the, <laughs> you pick it, name it. Right? Yeah, I did this, I did that. It's me, 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 I, 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 self, 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 self. That's all John's talking about. And that's exactly what was happening in the church. These people came in and they were Gnostics and they were saying that, no, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. And they had absolutely no authority to say that. And there was no basis, in fact, for any of that. It was about them. They were narcissistic and they they had the pride of life. They were pretentious hypocrites that sucked people out of the church. Just suck them right out. Whoa. Powerful words in the Greek here used to describe these people. So I, I read this commentary and he said this. I'll just quote right from the commentary. Pride of... The guy was talking about himself. He's a commentator. He's a pastor. And an author. And he says, Pride of life will be reflected in whatever status symbol is important to me or seems to identify or define my identity. When I define myself to others in terms of my honorary degrees, the reputation of the church I serve, my annual income, the size of my library, 
my expensive car or house. And if in doing this I misrepresent the truth and in boasting show myself only to be a pompous fool who has deceived no one, then I have succumbed to what John calls the pride of life. I've done, I think, at least one of all of those things <laughs> at one time or another. <laughs> you know, yeah. You ever sat down with somebody and they ask you about your life? Hey, where'd you come from? So, uh, I, was, I had coffee with a guy yesterday. And it's only the second time I've ever talked to him. And we were chatting. And, uh, and he said, so where, you know, where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? And yada, 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 yada. And, uh, you know, I found myself after like two or three minutes kind of telling him where I come from. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I'll tell you what. I, uh, <laughs> 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 I own three plants. <laughs> where does that come from? <laughs> it's a pride of life. I found myself doing it yesterday, and all he was doing was trying to get to know me. I'm putting myself out there like I'm like, like I'm Mr. Important or something. No, no, I'm not Mr. Important. None of us are Mr. It's not about us. And that's what John is trying to say. It's, it's not about us. Boy, as soon as we put self in front of Jesus, and, I, and I, I'm not suggesting I was doing that yesterday. I, I know who the Lord is in my life, but. Boy, it's a, again, it's a fine line. The meter's starting to tick up, tick up, tick up, and I did a lot of good stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do any of that. Well, that's because in the business world, you have to sell yourself all the time. And it's in some ways, it's almost old habit. Yeah. It comes from being a, a salesman for 35 or 40 years. I, you know, you make up all kinds of wonderful stories to sell a deal, don't you? <laughs> and so, and, and, and it comes back. And that's the pride of life. <laughs> And then in verse 17, he says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, the world is history. Not the Grand Canyon, necessarily. But the world system of things that you're talking about, it's toast. It's done. It's over. It's finished. Jesus wins. That's what the Bible tells us. Okay, the world is over, and the and, and, and John's trying to get us to understand here that that not don't love the world or the stuff of the world. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got, with everything you've got, and then be the best at what God has given you to be and do by listening to His will for your life. And if that's a golfer or a race car driver or a, or a mechanic or a street sweeper, good. That's good. But don't put it ahead of God. And that's what the false teachers were doing. And so he's giving them application. Be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. Because you could summarize the whole thing by saying, so far, what John has taught us in this letter that he wrote to the church, he said, hey, walk in the Jesus is the light. Walk in the light. Just walk in the light. 
Barnabas because he's contrasting those people that had man, I don't know what all they were saying. We're, we're not told. We're just told that they were denying that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know that. We're told that they were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. We know that. I wonder sometimes though, what else that they were saying. I gotta believe it was a whole bunch more lying going on to make it sound really good so that they could take him away. I was thinking that not only did they teach him their lives encrypted that they were going into the world and doing all that this was their purpose. Yeah, amen. And and so Gnosticism, as we know, of course we're not going to study Gnosticism, but Gnosticism uh, took Gnosticism was kind of like denominationalism. I'm not a I'm not anti-denominational, but I'm just saying that that um, Gnosticism took on a lot of flavors in, in the beginning in the first century, and so there were you know there were there were the first Gnostics and there were the, the Southern Gnostics and there there was the first uh, the, the the Third Street Gnostics and there was a, they took on all these different flavors, right? And um, and and all of it was in the darkness. All that was in the darkness. So God, he, John is also saying that if you choose to walk in the light, God's love is fulfilled in you. And he puts us on the same plane, at least in this context, as Jesus. In Jesus and in you. And God's love will be made complete. Not finished. He says complete. And the word complete means in a maturing process. Never to end. Until we breathe our last. If we are in the light, we are going. We are being made complete, not completed. We are being made complete. That's what we're doing tonight. We're being made complete. We're maturing in the Lord. And He says, "Don't be seduced by the things of the world, because that will lead you into the darkness. If you succumb to the seduction of the things." That's everything in the world by making an idol of them, putting them first, putting those things first. And by the way, that means relationships. You know, a lot of people don't like to go there, but I'm telling you, it means relationships. You idolize somebody to the point where you put them above the Lord Jesus. It's the same thing. Love the Lord your God. I always like to paraphrase that. With everything you got. Start there. Start there. And then if you do that, then the things of the world you won't be seduced by. You might be interested in some of them, but you won't be seduced by them and you will not idolize them and you will not succumb. Because Jesus has already overcome the evil one, right? The evil one is the one that's in charge of the world, right? So if we look at, at Romans 5.18, and we will. Keep your finger in first John, because we're going to turn right back there. But Romans 5.18 says this. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men... So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. And what I did after reading that was I went to the Good News translation that says this. 
So then, as one sin condemned everybody, in the same way, one righteous act set all people free. I love that paraphrase. Because it takes the churchy words out of it, doesn't it? It takes the churchy words out and it says, Hey, Adam's sin. Smack him. I just want to smack him. And Jesus, Jesus paid it all. And now God sees us as people of faith. We put our faith in Christ and he sees us through the righteousness of his son, Christ Jesus. He doesn't see us the way we see us. He sees us as full righteous. Wow. Because of what Jesus did. 1 John 5.19. we got to turn. we got to go there. 1 John 5.19. There's a lot of good ones in there, isn't there? Just a few. 1 John 5.19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So don't be of the world. It's, that, it's just that simple. So just don't be of the world. You're in the world, just don't be of the world. And we can be in the world all day long, can't we? Mm-hmm. As long as we don't succumb to our sinful desires and the lusts of the, of the eyes and of the flesh and of the pride of life and become narcissistic and self-centered and independent of God. Okay, just choose not to do that. Well, look at what he said in the 21st verse. Ah, what does he say in the 21st verse? Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Hmm. If I would have written that, I would have said, keep yourself from all idols, because all still means all. But, yeah. So the message is strong. It's, it's a pretty complete message. It's a pretty simple message. But it's a very powerful message. Because of our nature. That's the warning. Because of our nature, we could be we could succumb to the seduction of those that would be saying wonderful things that our itchy ears would love to hear, and they would suck us right out of the light and into the darkness. And if you're in the darkness, what then? Hard to crawl back. Because the question really, yes, is can you cross over? So that's a whole nother that's a whole nother theological debate that we would have to have because if, if you were in the light and you got pulled out and you were in the darkness, were you ever really in the light? That's a that's a that, that's a whole predestination conversation that we're not gonna have tonight for sure, but that's a pretty scary thought, isn't it? Because look at television. Look at the teachers that we would consider to be heretical, meaning they teach heresy, meaning that they're false teachers. Now, we've got to be really careful, don't we? In terms of making accusations, and yet we have to speak the truth in love at the same time. And so, because if we're not going to speak the truth, then we're not going to be obedient to Christ. Who told us to speak the truth in love? So we have to be, we have to be careful with that. Jesus prays in John 17, and I just want to read it, because I think you're going to like it. 
You've read it before. But it's powerful in light of this light and darkness warning that he gives us. And he says this. Jesus says, I have revealed to you. He doesn't say, I have revealed to you. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. I've revealed to you, Father, those of you, those that you gave me out of the world. You see, when we come to Christ, we leave the world. That's the point. When we come to Christ, we have to leave the world because the evil one is in control of the world. We have to leave it. It's done. We've become new creatures in Christ. It's done. Once we succumb to being seduced by all of those things that are wonderful and, oh, they feel good. And then I wake up with a hangover. That's not so good. I thought it felt good when I was drinking too much, but then I found out that, no, it wasn't so good anymore because I had to pay a physical price for that. Well, he's talking about paying a spiritual price. There's a spiritual price to be paid for those things in the world. And then Jesus says, they were yours. They, meaning y'all in the light. Y'all belong to God. See, because your life isn't your own, right? We know that. Scripture tells us our life is not our own. There's no self. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. And so he says, they were yours. You gave them to me and they <coughs> obeyed your word. I love this. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Jesus had a conversation here with the Father. And he says, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. Okay? The light. Versus the dark. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Now listen to this. Jesus speaking. I pray for them. We don't take anything else home tonight. We need to take home the truth that Jesus before the Father is interceding. We know that already. But I don't think that it resonates with us like it should on our behalf. Because he knows the struggle of being in but not of the world. Which is why John is making such a big deal out of this. I pray for them. In my Bible, I have that underlined and, and circled a few times, and I have it highlighted with orange, an orange highlighter. But then listen to what Jesus says. After he says, I pray for us, he says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. 
This is incredibly powerful when you think about it in terms of, I mean, this is John writing this, but Jesus is speaking it. Remember, he was there. And, and he says that all I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. You realize that glory comes to Jesus through us that have put our faith in him and that he's praying for us, interceding on our behalf because he knows the tension and the difficulty of being in but not of the world. Cool. I just think that's so cool. I just do. I mean, who other could think God could come up with this? Oh. I don't know, it takes a lot of pressure off, I think. Because I, 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 I tend to want to, I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform. I'm a checklist guy. And I can teach taking the checklist and throwing it away and make sure it's a hard thing, not a checklist thing. But I'm a checklist guy. That's how I'm wired. And i got to remember to throw the checklist away. I just get rid of the checklist. Just live every moment for the Lord. Just put your faith in Him. Trust Him. And then he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I love that because John relates so that they can be one, Father, like, so that they, that's us, can be one, Father, like you and I are one, Father. It's fellowship. Light equals fellowship. When you are in the light, you are in fellowship with God and one another, and that's exactly how he designed it. I don't know. That's really just, it's really satisfying to me to know that as I'm working towards being in the light constantly by making sure that Jesus is first and foremost. He's the most critical thing in my life. He is the everything. He's the all in all, as the song says and the scripture goes. He's our all in all. And, and when that happens, we're in fellowship with him. We're in fellowship, by default, we're in fellowship with one another because we come to Christ and we are put into the body of Christ. You've got no choice. If you come to Christ, you're in the body of Christ. You're in the family of God. You're a child of God. And we're here in this together just as he designed it. And we're in the light. And we can help one another point out those people that are in the darkness so that we don't succumb to their madness. Because it is indeed that, isn't it? It is madness. We'll finish with this. John, 1 John 2, 18 and 19. And we'll pick up next week on more of this. 1 John 2, 18 and 19 says this. Dear children, he changes back to that pastoral comment again. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Very familiar scripture to most of us. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. Remember? Who's the they? They went out from us. The Gnostics, the false teachers, and they took a bunch of our folks with them. Mm -hmm. They went out from us, but they never did really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them 
Wow. I don't like to stop here to be scary, but I'm, <laughs> I'm stopping here to be, this is reality. The reality is, is that John now just confronts the truth and he addresses the church as dear children. And then he says, this is the last hour and the last hour. That is the only time that this term is used in all of the New Testament. The last hour. Remember when we studied the end times? And we are we in the end times? Yes. yes, we're in the end times. Okay. And so the last hour used here is 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 it's it's very familiar to some of those other terms. The the end times, the last days. We 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 we've seen those terms that are used in Scripture. And as we cross reference this, and we'll do this a little bit more next week, as we cross reference this, we see that the last hour is a present tense term. And he's talking to the church 2,000 years ago. And he said, in the present, time is short. How can time be short? It's been 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, in God's time, 2,000 years is nothing. Scripture tells us it could be two days. Two days of my life goes like that, big time. 2,000 years, but I can't even relate to 2,000 years in, in, in God's time because, I, you know, we talk about that. Is there time in heaven? Well, yes and no. But mostly no. We can't relate to that. The point is, is that the last hour is here and he's giving them this warning. And the warning is, again, that even now, Antichrist has come. He says the Antichrist. Who is the Antichrist? We, we know that. We studied end times. But who then are the Antichrists? In context, false teacher. In the context of what John is writing to the church about, he said, guys, watch out for these. They're... they're, they're I can't even tell you what they are because the words I want to use are probably not appropriate for church. But, but they're bad. Yeah, I call them bitches. And they, and, yeah, and they pray on the week, don't they? They pray on the week. It's it's very natural. And they and they and and, and, and after they've prayed on the week, they they, they, they pull them out mm-hmm. into the darkness. Mm-hmm. And then John says they probably never even belong to us anyway. That's a powerful thought because, and now we have to be very, very careful because could you have somebody that is a believer that gets pulled away into some false teaching before they realize and have had some revelation that, oh, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and they, and they come back to the light. Yeah, of course. Of course that can happen. Of course you can get fooled. The Bible like I said, says in the last days, even the elite... We do this a lot, don't we? We go to church, we study the Bible, we like to read, we're in fellowship with, 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 with Jesus and with one another, and I would submit to you that we're, we're, we're right on the edge. More so on the edge, and I'm a pilot, and so we teach people in Santa Paula, it's called emergency maneuver training. And we teach pilots how to take their airplane right to the edge of what we call the envelope. 
Okay, and then and then we do things with an airplane because it's an aerobatic airplane. We do things with the airplane that they never imagined in a million years would happen. We get them upside down and we spin them upside down. And the first time a pilot does that, their eyes are like this big, and they think all they can think of is uh, we're going to die. We're going to die. That's all they can think of. And so what happens here is that is that they're good pilots. Taken to the edge. And church, I think we can do the same thing if we're not careful. If we get complacent, we can be taken right to the edge by somebody that says, but oh, and if we don't validate everything that we hear through the lens of Scripture that is the final authority on everything, look at what has happened to the church in our generation. Churches are getting emptier, and the ones that are getting fuller are the ones that don't use Scripture as authority. Because it's about self. John warned us 2,000 years ago that it's the last hour. Careful. Because you could be right edge of going into the darkness. But God's love is being made complete and you are being matured right this second. Because we're here. And you can do it tomorrow afternoon, 30 minutes of reading scripture or or Friday morning for five minutes. Read one verse and then and then meditate it on, on it as you're driving to work or cooking breakfast. <laughs> and that's the, that's the maturation process. We're maturing. We're growing in the Lord. And when we're doing that, we are so much less likely to succumb to the darkness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word is truth. Jesus, you have Never let anybody astray because you are the way and the truth and the life. And God, it's comforting to know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that nobody comes to the Father but by you and that you are interceding for us even now. The right hand of the Father. And Lord, even though we are susceptible to sin and we are sinners, we are so grateful, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you have revealed to us and you have taught us through your Spirit, God, that you see us through the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ. That is not only a truth, but it is really exciting that there's nothing that we could ever do. But you brought us to yourself because you love us. And so we thank you for that. It's exciting. And it's comforting. Lord, and it's profound that you loved us that much. So help us, God, to be in the light, to walk in the truth. Help us to be in fellowship with one another so that we can help one another, God. You call us to do that. To cast our cares on you, Lord, and to even confess our sins to one another, which in this case, Lord, could be as simple as just having a shoulder to cry on. So help us to do that, Lord. 
Give us what we need. Help us to be faithful and obedient followers of you, Lord. That we might preach the gospel through our actions. And then we'll use the words if, if it becomes necessary. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Now, God, I pray that you would get us home safely. Pray for Richie to get home safely in his drive tomorrow. I pray for all those in the body, Lord, that have that have needs, health needs, relational needs, financial needs, spiritual needs. Lord, you know exactly what they are. And so, Lord, we lift up every need in this body to you. And, God, we give you praise and honor and glory. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.